welcome to another episode of Doses of Darling. If you're watching or listening for the first time, welcome. My name is Darling Membreño and I'm an LPC associate here in Texas. If you are a returning viewer or listener, thanks so much for all of your support. I want to thank those of you who have participated in um, sending in ideas or questions that you have about um, what other things I could do with a podcast, um, either about therapy, like questions about therapy or about mental health in general. Um, I encourage those of you who haven't reached out yet to do so via YouTube in the comment section or um, continue in my Instagram for some reason. People prefer to respond via Instagram or Facebook. Um, any curiosities that you have about therapy, mental health theories, what to expect in therapy sessions, questions about previous podcasts on my channel that you've watched, if you have any doubts or need clarifications on something, definitely shoot me those questions and I will answer them as they come. Um, let's get into this episode. Um, as always, I'm always really excited about all the topics that I'm covering. I think I'm just passionate about my field, but I also love, love, love podcasting. It's one of my favorite things to do. So um, this episode is also really amazing. Um, it is an episode on imposter syndrome, which is something that can affect a large percentage of the population, but which is rampant it's really rampant in the immigrant community and especially in the Latino and um, Hispanic community. So um, take notes, the amounts of breakthroughs that I had just interviewing the guest speaker that I have for today, um, mind-blowing. They were like mind-blowing breakthroughs that I had. And so see if y'all have any breakthroughs that happen while listening to this episode. Um see which type of imposter has taken over you and find the root and heal it in therapy. Um, that's something that I, I started doing after I recorded this episode and interviewed our guest. Um, I feel like I'm a mixture of a lot of the different types of imposter syndromes. Y'all will hear. Um, it's a super engaging and awesome episode. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of Doses of Darling covering imposter syndrome or imposter phenomena. All right, y'all. My guest on today's episode is Dr. Yanira Hernandez from Palante Therapy in California. Dr. Hernandez is another boss lady that I found via Instagram, and I feel so blessed that the algorithm put her in my feed somehow. She's a licensed clinical social worker who graduated from UCLA with a degree in women's studies and education studies. She then went on to graduate with a master's in social work from USC, and then with a doctorate in educational psychology also from USC. I mean, girl, damn, <laughs> it makes me so happy and inspired to learn about Latinas achieving all this greatness and then just emanating out into the world the way that, you know, we're doing it through this mental health sphere. You are amazing and are doing God's work as well. Dr. Hernandez, you're, I know that you're passionate about empowering first-generation Latinas, women of color, and especially college graduate students and professionals. Um, I know your areas of specialty, and correct me if I'm wrong, include 
trauma. So that's like racial trauma, intergenerational childhood complex, mm -hmm. um, inner child work, anxiety, depression, professional identity related issues and imposter syndrome, which is the topic that we're going to be talking about today on this episode. Welcome, Dr. Hernandez. Thank you so much for agreeing and taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this podcast with me. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlene, for inviting me. Creo que tengo mucha este, felicidad, you know, when I get invited into these type of spaces um, to have just authentic and very genuine and just very needed conversations around topics that so many of our gente right, can relate to that often there's just so much stigma and shame to, to speaking truth to a lot of these experiences, even though many of us um, experience them, right? So I am very excited to hone in on this topic of imposter syndrome and, you know, dive in a little bit more on what it is and how has it shown up, you know, in, in my personal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we and we were just talking about before pushing record about how I figured out that it started showing up in my life too and didn't even know that that's what it was so yeah I'm excited to dive into it but I gave everybody a little snippet of who you are and what you've accomplished and what you've done thus far with your career but I kind of want to know and this is the first question that I ask everybody that comes on the show or on the podcast <laughs> yes. yes. I'm, I'm manifesting it yeah um so I ask everybody what led you to this career in mental health yeah and you know what as I uh was thinking of that question you know a lot of I was really thinking about I was like okay what led me into the mental health field and honestly I think it it traces back to what we sh what we shared earlier that I was experiencing a lot of uh, trauma and a lot of anxiety and all these uh, different forms of mental health, but I didn't know what the experience was, right? Um, but just to kind of be more, I guess, pragmatic about it, um, prior to getting into the field of social work in the field of mental health, uh, I grew up kind of very. Uh, having a track that I was going to go into the medical field, actually. So when I went into UCLA, I was a pre-med student. I was biochemistry major. All of my life, I was good at, quote unquote, good at math and science. And I've always kind of did everything I had to do with like math and science, with which was outreach programs, taking AP bio, AP calc, and all of that. So in my mind, I always was on the track to go into the medical field. Um, but that changed when I got into, into undergrad and when I got into UCLA and I was trying to decide, I was like, me pasto? like what happened? And I think through that reflection, I realized that this dream of being a doctor, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily my dream. I think it was a dream that my parents had for me since very early on. So I adopted that dream and I let that kind of pretty much dictate my K through 12 education. And like, I really kind of uh, put on this suit of like, I am science, 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 science. And so therefore, when I got into um, to UCLA, um, I realized that there was a lot of holes in that suit because I didn't see myself in the um, in the lecture halls. Oftentimes, I was the only brown girl in in the lecture halls. Um, I didn't see uh, faculty of color, you know, in 
in the in the classes that I was in, you know, and I wasn't necessarily failing, but I, I felt myself that I just didn't feel smart enough, you know, in these classes. Somehow I was passing, pero like how my mom would say, a panzazos, you know, like barely getting in, like with C's, you know, like, but as we know, for a lot of those classes, that's considered failing. Right. If you're not getting like the A's or just passing with the B or better, that's considered failing. So I just didn't feel myself seen. And I don't know whether it was a lack of mentorship, a lack of visibility, representation of women that looked like me, brown girls, especially girls. I mean, you know, I was born and raised in South Central in the hood. So just I didn't feel seen. Right. And not until during that journey in undergrad. I recall that I took uh, an elective class in women's studies. And that's when I was introduced to the term intersectionality, right? And we're talking about all these layered identities. And I said, man, like, I feel seen, right? A lot of the social issues that were being spoken in, in the class were like, yep, 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 check, 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 check. And then I, similar experience when I took my first um, education class, you know, I, again, I felt so seen based, especially I think it was a class on honing on the school to prison pipeline and just, you know, how that has impacted my K-12 education. And I said, like, holy shit, like, I just feel very seen in these classes. And I think that kind of created a pathway for me to get into more experiences of kind of education and just like, um, like social um, organizations that kind of didn't wasn't so hone in into like the medical experience but more so um social work education so through that I think it's where I started noticing that I said okay I'm focusing on the academic part and and how uh students are learning but it's but something is impacting their learning right and then that's where I realized that there was a lot of social emotional factors that was impacting their learning and I said okay this is what I want to hone in on and not it was through my journey, my master's program, where I said, holy shit, this, this is actually very like, uh, it is, I can, I can relate to this experience because then that forced me to really dig deep into my life, into my life experiences and, you know, like, and how trauma has manifested. It just has been so numbed and just so kind of uh, seen so foreign that not, not until I was in my graduate program where I was forced to really hone in and tap into all these experiences that I was also going through that I just had completely disregarded you know and I think that's kind of where I want to say where this awakening of like this really matters this like mental health and and I could honestly say that I had been navigating through a lot of anxiety a lot of trauma since very early on I just didn't know I didn't have the terms for it I didn't have the conceptualization for it, but it was not until I was forced into my master's program where I realized that, wow, I cannot only relate to this professionally and academically, but also on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Wow. You shared a lot. Thank you so much for sharing all of that stuff. Um, so that, that journey that you went on was super special because you kind of got to learn a little bit about yourself. Was there any sort of guilt or doubt that came into play when you switched your track from pre-med to women's studies and then um, a licensed clinical social worker in your master's program? Absolutely. I'm never going to forget that phone call that I gave my mom. And I was like, Ma, ya no puedo. Like, I have something to share with you, but I just can't. 
you know, and I, this is why I didn't change my major until my third year of college. And um, I think a lot of it, I was fighting it. I was like, no, but I've always said that I wanted to be a doctor. Like, what are my parents going to say? Right. And, um, and I think it was not until I had that phone conversation with my mom and, and she was like, sabes que mija, te vamos a apoyar con lo que tú quieras hacer, lo que tú quieras estudiar. And I think that was kind of the sense of relief and what I needed to hear from my mom um, because, um, you know, she validated my experience and she pretty much gave me the green light. And I was able to let go of that guilt, you know, um, in a way. Uh, the guilt continues to show up in different manifestations now that I am older. However, I think in that situation, I felt very fortunate that my mom was able to understand where I was coming from and, you know, be able to, to, to see me and just hear me out, right, which is not always so easy for my mom, you know, but I think at that moment, she said exactly what I needed to hear. Um, and then as I became, uh, you know, further into my journey of being a mental health professional, and then obviously later as a licensed clinical social work, I think I reflected a lot back on what that meant to let go of that, um, of that dream, that so-called dream, you know, of becoming a doctor, you know, a medical doctor, because uh, it was a group of like, uh, of Latinas that it was just only like, it was like maybe like five of us, you know, who were just kind of always together and out of all those five, only two continued that journey, right? And, and just seeing that how, it turned out for them and just seeing like, wow, I could have also been right now applying to medical school, right? And I think honestly, part of that also instilled in me wanting to go back to school and get my doctorate mm -hmm. and just really say, okay, there are multiple reasons for wanting, for me wanting to pursue this doctorate. And part of it was like, I want to reclaim what it means to be a doctor, you know, because even now, like on, you know, through social media presence, you know, once you kind of hit a level of engagement, right, you get a lot of outside noise from other people. And one of the things that I see a lot of the comments is like, you're not a real doctor. Why are you claiming to be a doctor? You're not a surgeon or a pediatrician, or you're not a physician, right? And it's, it's part of it is also educating the you know, the world that there are multiple forms of doctorate. It's not just the medical doctorate. And I think that led me to wanting to pursue also my doctorate. Um, there was many reasons, but that was one of it. It's like, you know, I'm going to reclaim what it means to be a doctora. Like I can still honor that dream, but it's going to be on my terms, mm -hmm. right? I think initially it was for different purposes and a different type of uh, doctorate journey that I wanted to pursue. But I think on this end, it's like, no, it's going to be on my terms. And, and now it's going to be, I'm still going to honor that. Mm -hmm. um so I think that's it, it kind of it was multi it was a multi-layered experience in 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 itself and so what then led you to choose LCSW versus LMSW versus LPCC and all these other different credentials that we can get in the mental health. absolutely there are just so many right and I think because I I, I met someone who was in the social work program and uh, at USC. And um, this individual, you know, he was a mentor to me and I really was always felt inspired by him. And um, 
And when he shared a little bit about his classes, we're like, oh, I'm like that, that, I want that. I want to study that, you know? And I think that um, through when I was graduating, when I was applying to graduate programs, I, cause I went from undergrad straight to grad school, straight into my master's program. So when I was applying to graduate schools, I think I only looked at uh, MFT programs and I looked at social work programs. I don't even think, I think I zoned out and I had such tunnel vision that I was like, these are the kind of aligned with what I want to do. And I think what made me choose social work over any other program, or at least MFT, because that was the other one that I was looking at, is like for me, I think the looking at the envir environmental factors was very important because um, as I said, as someone who has um, all kind of uh, intersectional identities that have been in a way oppressed identities, right? I'm a first generation US born, daughter of undocumented immigrants, uh, working class family, you know, uh, first in my family to go to college, masters, you know, uh, grad, you know, grad school, you know, all kinds of the isms, right? And I think just seeing that, witnessing that, not only in my family, but other people, you know, my, my, my tios, my neighbors, you know, my peers in high school, just seeing all those social and environmental factors that were impacting the self. I think that's what I said, I want to study that. And, um, and I think that just kind of put me into the track of social work. And I went, I just went, from, from there para adelante. Mm -hmm. Como tu práctica. Yeah. <laughs> so what, you are the CEO of your own practice. What made you want to name it Palante? Oh, Other than goodness. obvious reasons, I want to hear your Yes, <laughs> oh my goodness. So the actual name came from um, my dissertation. So my dissertation is Padelante la Lucha Continua. And I specifically looked at Latinx uh, college students that had uh, past experiences of bullying, right? And I looked at their intersectional identities and how they define resilience. So Padelante obviously had a lot of personal meaning because we hear it all the time in nuestra cultura, in mi familia, mi chale ganas, siempre Padelante, right? And just the cultural meaning that it has. And then tying it back to my dissertation, I think when I realized that I wanted to step into uh, into this kind of bossness era, right? I realized like, no, I want to do this and I want to open my practice and there's specific niche that I want to um, kind of service to. Um, I really spent a lot of time just wanting to name something that felt me, authentically me. And I think I, it was, it happened at the same time, like I had just finished from my doctorate and then it's kind of like this era where I was kind of looking into private practice and then it just hit me. I think I saw the dissertation like in front of me and I said, and I, the title, I just saw the title, honestly, and it just kind of hit me and I was like, what about if I call it like Palante Therapy? And then I bounced that idea with my partner and I bounced that idea with my brother and they were like, dude, that's like perfect. So then that's how it came about, you know? And of course there's the, the term Palante in general, or Palante, right? The contraction of it just has so much cultural significance that I said, okay, nos vamos con esta. This is it, yeah. That's so cool that it came full circle back to like your dissertation and yeah. presence to so many different areas of your identity. Yeah. So now that you are, I mean, you've been practicing for a long time. How many years? 12, 11 years? So 12, 12 years. Mm -hmm. 12 years. 
And yeah. what modalities have you been trained in or certified in during that time that you've been practicing? Yeah. So um, I've, I'm certified in cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. So a lot of like the trauma work with children, um, also seeking safety. Um, I've done also structural family therapy and systems family therapy. Um, I'm also a, um, a school-based mental health uh, practitioner. So I've also have uh, different experiences with EBPs in school-based, classroom-based um, interventions. And most recently, I'm currently EMDR in training. So I, that's a modality that has been, I know, under, whew, it's been a long time coming. And I finally um, gave myself the opportunity to, to uh, sign up for the training. And it's been really transformational not only for myself, but also for my practice and just seeing it, how it really, um, how it just, you know, looking at trauma through different lenses has been really helpful, you know, with working with a lot of my clients. So um, there's other EVPs that I have in mind that I still want to tap into, but I think I'm just kind of like, you know, I want to get more comfortable with EMDR and then be able to, to move forward. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome that you do. I'm, I'm also working on getting certified in EMDR. That's like the first thing that I'm getting trained in. Um, Cause I don't know if you know, but um, I'm new to this game. I just start, I just got licensed in January. So um, Felicidades. Was, gracias. Yeah. It's been a long, I mean, I took a, an 11 year detour. My, my followers and peace subscribers know it, it, it's been a journey for me, but I knew that I was supposed to do this. And so I'm really excited that I'm here now and that I'm learning all that I can from all of you seasoned professionals. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. So let's get into imposter syndrome then. Um, I was sharing with you earlier that I, I've experienced it, but I didn't know what to call it and put a label on it. So can you give us a definition of imposter syndrome and how it shows up or manifests in our lives? Absolutely. And I just kind of want to first uh, really validate that experience that you were sharing with me earlier, because I think that uh, that exactly what imposter syndrome is. Uh, it comes from it, imposter syndrome it comes from the term in the imposter phenomenon. Right. So we try to kind of step away. Most most of us know it as imposter syndrome, but we try to step away from the term syndrome because it almost seems like it's it's an individual experience as if something is wrong with you because it's a syndrome. Right. So now it's kind of we try to um, call it or at least name the experience as the imposter phenomenon. Right. Even though most of us recognize it as imposter syndrome. But it pretty much, it means that, you know, that there's this uh, feeling of self-doubt and this feeling of not, uh, of so, some sort of fear of failure, even though we have the accolades, the achievements, the, the paper to back it up, the experience to back it up, right? It's still this idea that somehow we're not good enough. Somehow I feel like a fraud, like, and and I also want to validate that experience even showed up me coming into this podcast with you, right? Um, I think it tends to show up for me during speaking engagements in general. I was like, ooh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, am I, <laughs> am I smart enough, quote unquote, right? So it continues to show up, but is that no matter how much evidence there is, there is still this sense of self-doubt. 
right? And I specific, anytime I talk about imposter syndrome or the imposter phenomenon, I always want to shed light of why this is harder for BIPOC folks and why even the term or the experience of imposter phenomenon, one can challenge it and just be like, okay, it's bogus, right? Because I think that for many of us who have kind of oppressed identities, right? We have since very early on, right, since the beginning of time, have operated through this structural and systemic oppression, right, that over generations and generations and generations, we've been told that we're somehow not good enough based on those layered identities, right, because of our class, our sex, our gender, our language, our immigration status, our phenotype, right? Just all the isms, right? We've been told that somehow we're not good enough. So generationally, we've been past this idea that indeed we're not good enough. You know, the the closer we're the there's a proximity to whiteness, the better we are. And we should be aiming at that. So when we are so far out from that spectrum, it feels like I'm there, I, I need that, and I need this, and I need that, which is why we kind of individualize that experience, and we feel like it's up to us, when in fact, it's all these systems that have been in place that were never designed for, for people like us to succeed, mm-hmm. right, so, um, so anytime I get into this conversation about the imposter phenomenon, the imposter syndrome, is recognizing that first, because I cannot sit here and just be like, okay, pues más sigue echando más ganas, and you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be this chingona, and you know, it, it doesn't work that way. I think we have to recognize the root of it before engaging in any type of intervention and reframing and and all that. Before we tap into that, you know, we have to recognize how it has shown up, uh, not only as uh, a community right, but also in throughout familial interpersonal lives, right, which is, this is something that I do a lot with my clients, right, it's like a lot of my clients are first-gen Latinas, and we talk about about how imposter syndrome has is showing up and has shown up maybe in different manifestations throughout their generations, mm-hmm. right, and oftentimes more so with women, right, so, um, so it's been, it's, it's very kind of, you know, mind-blowing when we just start really teasing out everything because we realize that this belief that we're not good enough has been echoed and whispered into our ears over generations and generations and generations. Mm-hmm. And it's worse, I think, when um, all of those systems that are in place suck then our own people into it and then our own people are telling us that we're Mm -hmm. inferior because then I talked about colorism in one of my episodes too, because that was a huge thing in my family, at least with my mom, like for the majority of my life, at least the first half of it, I felt like I already didn't belong in certain spaces. And like la mas morenita, you know, this, everyone else is like really light-skinned. And so I already, because of my skin color, didn't feel like I belonged in my own family, let alone in this country where like most of the spaces where people that were successful are white and it's not, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, so Absolutely. you talked about how it manifests that that's one way that it manifested for me. What other ways does the imposter phenomenon then yeah. manifest in others? 
I, I think part of it is uh, that is definitely one way that we see often in, especially in the Latina community, right? Um, you know, and I can also experience that in my family is, you know, just kind of a term that is often used, estás más piritito, right? And, um, right, as, as, a, as, if, if, as if it's, right, as if it's <laughs> a more of endearment, right? But as we hear it so often that you alone think like, okay, well, I have more indigenous features and therefore, um, I don't belong in such spaces, right? Another way that I think that, that I've seen that um, it has shown up is also uh, in, in class. You know, for example, uh, like if you're working class or you're more kind of like well-off, more from an affluent community, right? So for example, uh, for myself, right, being from the hood, right, I attended one of the most notoriously known uh, high schools you know, that have a very low graduation rate. Mm -hmm. So alone, you know, just being in my community, not many of my peers or just like a lot of uh, students attain higher education, right? So thinking as, oh, I'm the lucky one. I was the one who made it. You know, I was able to, um, to go from Jefferson High School to UCLA, right? And just kind of carrying that with me as like, I need to somehow make the proud, make the hood proud. And, you know, kind of carrying that with you, right? Or thinking yeah. like, the way that I talk, I, I don't have, you know, especially when I went into UCLA, I didn't have the most advanced vocabulary. I mean, oftentimes we shared a textbook, you know, we had ripped textbooks as well. It's like, so we, uh, I, let alone just that, you know, feeling that the, the the sense of like, I'm not smart enough, right? I'm not articulating myself. I don't sound as eloquent, right? So that's one way that I've seen also shown up. Another way is also uh, immigration status, right? For those of us, uh, oh, for, for I say, for those who, yeah, there you go, you know, who are not, uh, you know, don't, don't have like a, a pathway to citizenship or have been told other lives that they don't belong in this country. Imagine how that uh, shows up, right? In, in spaces for individuals. I've seen it with my students who are DACA recipients. I've seen it for my students who are non-DACA recipients. You know, I've seen it with my parents who are undocumented, you know, uh, and I've seen it across many different communities, right? How is it continues to show up when you're told you don't belong here because of your citizenship, right? So that's another way. Another way that um, is just sometimes just our, our own ethnic identity, right? Being Latinas, you know, I come from a, a Mexican family background, right? My parents are from Puebla, Mexico. So um, even just that alone, sometimes, you know, there's almost shame to, to rep, you know, your, your Latinidad or rep, you know, like kind of like your cultural country, your ethnic country, right? Because like, no quiero que piensen, like I am that brown girl, you know, like the loud and proud one, right? Um, but we are. But we are, <laughs> right? Well, exactly. And that's going to get later on to like how we can own up, right? And, and, and just really defeat the imposter syndrome, right? But that's how it also shows up, right? Especially if I see it a lot with my clients currently who are like in tech um, or who are in, in spaces that are predominantly very uh, male, white male dominant, you know, and, and that's how it shows up. 
right? I, I see there's a little bit more wiggle room of reclaiming in, in, um, in professional spaces such as like education, social work, right? With theirs, we're starting to uh, reclaim those spaces, right? But in those are that are heavy, predominantly white male dominated, I've seen it with my clients that it's been very hard for them to, to be able to reclaim that, you know, and, and that's how the imposter syndrome is showing up, right? So, um, so I think it's just, there's so, there's a variety, you know, I think every identity can be challenged. And um, especially if it's a, an identity that has been historically oppressed, right? I think that it, it can be, it can show, show up, right? This experience of like not feeling good enough. And no matter how the achievements, uh, the accolades, the lived experiences that speak for uh, for your truth, no matter, no matter what it is, that's still not enough. Mm -hmm. So you gave us a little bit, I kind of like little tidbits of imposter syndrome how it and how it showed up in your life. Can you think of the first time that you realized actually what I'm feeling right now is imposter syndrome? Absolutely. I think I went in so blindly throughout my, um, through higher education. Uh, and I think even as I transitioned to working uh, in the professional world for the first time, and I, and I would I would actually take that back. I wouldn't even say blinding. I just don't think we spoke about it enough, right? That many of us wouldn't have these conversations. Social media wasn't popping like it is right now where I can just click on the surgery button on TikTok, on Instagram, imposter syndrome, and like, boop, you get all this kind of content, right? It wasn't like that. So I think it was just such an isolating experience that many of us were experiencing. We just, no one talked about it, right? But when I first can say like, holy shit, what I'm experiencing is exactly this was when I was in my doctor program. So this was in 2016, 2017, um, when I, I've always been the youngest in a lot of the programs or a lot of the spaces that I've been because I went into school very early on. So that alone was already something like my age. I look younger than, you know, than, you know, than my age and are probably in that equates to having less experience in my head. Right. So when I was in my doctor program, I was one of the youngest ones. And uh, because it was in a, a doctor in education, so it's an a education program. So heavily, a lot of the students that were there were primarily educators. At this time, I was not working in school systems. I, I was working for, um, for a government job. So I was working for uh, the county of LA Department of Mental Health. So a lot of, um, a lot of my classmates were, um, I think at that age, I was like 26 when I started. And a lot of them were like to mid thirties to like their forties, right? And who had been educators for a very long time. A lot of, a lot of my classmates were leaders in the schools, right? Either like directors, principals, assistant principals, or had some sort of leadership kind of um, jobs, positions, right? So I think that's when I just recall sitting, especially my first year in many classes, just feeling so small. And I think I would physically just kind of like make myself, make myself feel so small, just not wanting to be seen. Because if someone, if a professor asked me a question, I'm like, you know, the rise of anxiety, it's like almost like, oh my God, I'm not going to know the answer, right? And everybody's going to think I'm dumb. And how did I make it into this program, right? 
So I think that was the first time where I was able to coin that experience to imposter syndrome. But let, let, that experience had been showing up all of my life, it's entire education since the moment I stepped into UCLA. But I think that's when I first realized like, this is what I'm experiencing. And it was through my program over the years that I was able to challenge that and really reclaim what it meant for me being in that doctor program. And I think as a result of that, that's why I opened my private practice because I had kind of like unchained from that mentality of like, I'm not good enough to like, I fucking deserve this. I worked my ass off for this and I am reclaiming all the spaces and people who look like me should be a CEO, CEO of anything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so I think that's how I, 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 it was kind of like my proof that I was able to really, uh, really unchain myself from the imposter phenomenon that was really dominating me that I didn't realize that until during my program. Oh, wow. You know, that, that feeling that you're describing of like, you just like physically made yourself small. I, I like to describe myself when I was in high school as like a wallflower, but I think that's what it was because Mm -hmm. most of my classes that I took were AP classes, right? Like I was always high in the academic ladder, but also surrounded by a shit ton of white people in every single one of my Mm -hmm. classes. And so always like, I hope they don't call on me. I'm going to sound stupid if I answer like, I guess no era wallflower. And I I say like imposter phenomenon that was happening. And like, like, that's a little, a little bomb that just went off in my brain right now. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure we have probably more experiences when that has happened, right. That we just kind of curl into like this little bolita and like, please don't see me. Right. Um, But, and but I think it's like, it's, it's that it's, it's those thoughts is that belief that somehow we don't belong in these spaces when in fact we do. And, and when we kind of get out of that, what comes of it is just so beautiful to witness and beautiful to see. Yeah. So does imposter syndrome have a different type? Like, is, are there different types of, I, I want to call it imposter phenomenon now, because that's <laughs> like, I want to do that now. So does, is it, are there different types of it, first of all? And second, does it only show up in academic and workspaces or are there other areas in life where it can show up as well? No, I absolutely think it can show up in, in any type of spaces. I think we tend to see it more professionally in, and in academia because I think that that's where it can be very overt, just very obvious, right? Um, but I think it can show up in many different spaces where uh, where we are challenged with this belief of like, no matter how proof I have or evidence I have that I am uh, worth of something, we, we dim our light, right? And um, so I think it definitely can manifest in many different spaces. I just don't, I just think that those are the spaces that have one, have been researched the most, you know, uh, and two, I think it's because it's kind of very, like I said, very obvious, right, and how we can see it, right, um, and then what I'm going to go a little bit in sharing the different types, and I, and I think as, as we go through the different types, we can see, and like, oh, this has shown up in, like, in my family, or this has, this has shown up when, like, I'm doing this or doing that, you know, because I think it, it definitely just, it's just not, in, in academia professionally, I think just has been researched more there. And I think it's more, more obvious, you know, but 
one of it is the perfectionist. And I think many of us, especially first gens and, you know, children of immigrants can relate to this, right? Um, and I think this is why I battle sometimes too with, uh, there's just, it's, it's very layered with the imposter phenomenon because I think part of it is, like I said, is very rooted on a lot of structure and systemic racism that even just feeling like you have to be perfect in everything that you do, right? It comes a lot with like, Queremos que los sacrificios de nuestros padres sean justificados. Yeah. They're valid, que right? Pena, que sí. valgan la pena, right? So I think when I think of the one of the type of imposter syndrome, the perfectionist, right? It's like, duh, like, no shit, of course we want to make sure everything is perfect, right? That, that belief, right? But for this person, it uh, probably has, um, has a it's, it's kind of known as control freak, right? They have difficulty delegating um, tasks or even even working in groups sometimes too because you want to make sure that you believe that only you can do it as perfectly you want. You can only, right? Everybody else is going to slack up. Mejor yo lo hago sola, right? So I definitely, that I fit in that. <laughs> I'm the first one to raise my hand and I'm like, oh, you know, I feel attacked. That is me, you know? <laughs> So that is that is one way, right? Another one is called uh, the natural genius, and the natural genius is an individual who uh, wants to kind of get it, have it, whatever it is, the task be done so perfectly on the first try because you're a genius. You should know, you know that being able. Uh, to kind of base base everything on um, on effort is really hard for you because you base everything on just kind of like on competency, right? And usually we start seeing this manifestation for folks who have had straight A's all their lives, or they've always always had the awards, right? It's like I should be able to get an A on this test, you know, because. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm the smart one, right? And when you don't, then the sense of like, I'm a failure, you know, uh, then there's kind of, you know, you feel like it, it somehow it's, it, it's because of you, right? Because you've seen that, um, that somehow you measure success with competence instead of your efforts, right? And we see this very often, you know, with, with many of us, right? Another one is the soloist. And I think that this is also very common for a lot of children of immigrants because it's like, it's kind of like I can be bad by, all by myself type of, you know, kind of like energy, right? That I can handle everything on my own, right? And then we really think about like how it shows up. Uh, again, adding that intersectional lenses to it, Right. Over time, many of our many of our people, nuestra gente generationally, is that yo lo puedo hacer sola. Yo, I don't need anybody else, right, to do it. Which is why we many of us have this grind mentality, right? I need to work very hard, and I can do this all by myself. And todavía puedo echarle más, even though we're so tired, we don't know what rest means. Why? Because again, this mentality of like I can do it all by myself. I need to prove that yo puedo sola, right? Um, and the other one is the superhero, which I do think it is also very common with our gente, right? Is that uh, you go the extra mile 
to make sure that everyone is okay. We come last though. We come last, right? You probably stay at the office at the very end because you want to make sure that project is 100%, right? And I'm like, ¿sabes qué? Me quedo another hour. Yeah. And it's probably an unpaid hour, right? You stay and while everybody else is a happy hour or nicely, you know, and este, in, in sus camitas, right? You're probably there just finishing it up hasta la hora que termine, right? And sometimes this looks like, you know, we're in school, this looks like in projects too, right? We're willing to stay up to three or four in the morning. And I was one of those, right? To make sure that everything was okay. And I wanted to make sure that we were all good, but like, I'm willing to kind of take, do it all for the team, right? So uh, again, this, this comes up a lot for our people. Um, and the last one is like the expert, right? It's kind of, we base on what we know and how much we know, right? And um, we typically see that, I think, with a lot of first gen uh, kind of like uh, college or, or professionals or students, right? That we always want like, what the next certification? What's the next training? What is the next uh, degree that I can get, right? There's always more and more and more and more, right? I, I know I'm feeling attacked as I'm, I'm reading all of these too, you know, but there's also, there's always more than we can learn, right? And this probably prevents us from applying to specific jobs because we're like, ¿Sabes qué? no, 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 I don't have that training. So, you know what? I'm probably not qualified enough, you know? And then there we go. We don't give ourselves a shot, right? Because we don't have that degree, that certification, uh, that training. When oftentimes it's like, we are probably know that we can do, we're more than capable of doing that, that what that role wants us or is expected of. We just believe that because we see that little line on the bulletin, on the position, uh, you know, bulletin that you must have this, you must have that. And let me tell you, I, when I broke out of this one, I applied to a position where I didn't have everything that they were asking for. And I'm like, I'm going to shoot my shot because I'm reading this and I can most definitely do all of this, you know, and I have experience doing all of this. I just don't have this, what they're asking for. If you would have asked me maybe a few years ago, I would have definitely not applied. And I applied and I got the position. I was kind of like, no, que no, I thought you wanted, you know, this, right? So a lot of the times is, is like, we don't allow ourselves to, to just, to new opportunities because of that, right? This expert mentality, I must know it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And and truth is we, we already know a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and if you like put in the situation, like you be on the ball and up, but thank you for sharing the five different types of imposter phenomenon. I definitely felt attacked a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is like all of them are me. So I guess the next question is, right? Like, if since there are, can people take on more than one of them? Because like, I have definitely for sure the natural genius. So I was that straight A student. And as soon as I got my first C, I've already shared um, this on one of my previous podcasts. Um, it wasn't until... Um, until my undergrad, when I took psych 101, that I was like, I'm going to see psychology because I've been wanting to be in the mental health field my whole mm -hmm. life. Um, I got a C and I was like, well, 
no es para mí. <laughs> so immediately that one. And I also have been a musician throughout my life. Um, and I never pursued anything fully. So I played the violin. Um, I played the accordion. Um, and I never fully pursued either of them porque a la primera vez que cometí un error, I was like, yeah, I'm, I can't do this. And I was really good at it. Like I never had to practice. And I was first string violin, fifth and sixth grade. Girl. Y también el acordeón. Like it just came so naturally to me. And I feel like that imposter syndrome where I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not as good of a musician. Like I dated a musician and I'm like, oh, I'm not as good as you. So mm -hmm. I never, I never took that on, but I feel like now after this podcast, girl, I'm going to be like, yes, re-pick up my accordeon and um, I'm going to need you in a banda, you know, I'm going to need you in a group. My, and <laughs> yes, for sure. I'm going to go back to playing tragos amargos like I yes. used to when I was younger. Oh my Absolutely. goodness. And look, yes. you, you just shared right now another way that it has shown up, uh, the imposter syndrome. It has shown up for you that it's not related to, to like kind of like academia, academia right? Yeah. So, um, and so true to that, I think that we can have them like stacked up, right? Um, I, for sure, I think I have all five, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, absolutely, it, it, they can manifest in multiple ways. It's not just one, it's, it's, you, they can be uh, layered up, right? And, they, and, um, and it's not isolating again with the intersectional identities that we have. Yeah. So we talked a little bit, I think of, for at least the Latino community where imposter phenomenon happens and where it stems from. If we're talking generally for like anybody, where where can we say or where can one say that the imposter phenomenon stems from? I think generally, uh, I think like, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, back to kind of the the root of it being systemic oppression because I even though I don't think even if you're you're kind of like white or you're, you have certain privileges you know over I think that that still impacts you mm -hmm. right because it's this you know capitalistic view that uh, we should be operating a specific way and I think that just impacts everyone across the board, right? I think it, spe it specifically targets uh, BIPOC individuals in, mm -hmm. a, in a different way, but I think that that's across the board. I think that impacts all of us, right? And how we should be showing up, right? Um, and and I, I know that I've had friends, um, I know when I was in my doctor program, you know, I had friends that, you know, that were white and, you know, that had said, definitely certain privileges over me and they shared that sometimes how they felt like they weren't good enough you know what they were doing sometimes because of their gender if they were women you know and sometimes it's just because um you know there oh there was this belief that their parents put on them they can always do more right even just being in the doctor program and I shared this earlier when we started, right? That it's like, why did you decide to pursue a PhD or a, a doctorate in education that is not 
a medical doctor and putting shame to that, you know? So I do think that there is just um, it, across the board, I think it's, it's very rooted in very like structural capitalistic kind of um, ideals and, you know, very Eurocentric views that have been rooted since, since very long. And unfortunately, all of us as a society, I believe that have been a target of that. And uh, those who are in marginalized groups have, uh, have been targeted the most, mm-hmm. right? But I think across groups, uh, we've all experienced, experienced that or have sensed it some way or another. Yeah. Well, so I guess the next question now is probably what everybody wants to know. How do you def- defeat then imposter syndrome? Um, I'm getting, and I'm going to link two questions together because your work is also to empower college students. And because we were talking about imposter syndrome showing up in the academic spaces, what therapeutic modalities or what is the work that you do with your clients to help them then either eliminate or shift it in some kind of way in our lives? Like, you know, we talk about therapy and um, with EMDR, right? We're not getting rid of what happened is we're shifting the energy in our body. So like, what do you do in your therapy office to help one deal with imposter syndrome? And it is exactly that. A lot of it in the beginning, uh, I really just want to validate that experience because it's not a one person thing. You know, we've all, you know, experienced it one way or another and and oftentimes very similarly. It definitely shows up. There's individualistic kind of experiences to it, but I think uh, as a whole, uh, you know, a lot of first-gen Latinas, we experience it in very similar ways, right? Um, so I validate the experience a lot, you know, and I think that before we get into like more kind of the pragmatic. Or ¿Puedo the, interrumpir un poquito? Yeah. ¿Qué, pasó? ¿Qué significa to validate somebody's experience? This is, to validate somebody's experience is meaning like, I hear you. Mm. I see you, you know, uh, and I think that's why I chose specifically this type of niche because mm. I personally have been through it. And sometimes I'm still navigating this, right? So when someone, when my client who is um, perhaps also a child of immigrants and is navigating under a grad student, uh, it's a grad student, you know, it's the first in the families to kind of go through uh, graduate school and feeling like they're not enough, you know? And I was like, girl, say less say less I know exactly what that feels like so when they're sharing specific experiences I'm like yep 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 and it would be ever different if I didn't know what that experience was right and even though I may not oh may not to the t know exactly what they're experiencing there is the commonality there that that's the part that I validate right and part of the a lot of the work is just really honing in into understanding of like where this imposter phenomenon comes from, and right, and specifically how it has shown up in their families generationally. And oftentimes when we map this out, it shows up desde, desde la abuelita, desde la bisabuelita, right? That it has shown up that is like, no, pues, mi abuelita era así con mi mamá y no la dejaba hacer esto. And therefore now that she's here in a different country, this is how it's showing up, right? And sometimes it's just really teasing out that because I think when we understand and we've mapped it out, we're like, holy shit, it's not just my mom being like, you know, super like mean to me or just like, you know, very strict is that 
mom, there's something that has happened generationally that is just continuing to perpetrate, right? So once we map that out and we have a higher understanding of that, I, then it's kind of when we can do more of like kind of the therapeutic kind of interventions, right? Where um, sometimes I, you know, I like to do a lot of kind of like, you know, somatic work, right? So it's like how, like, how is it showing up in your body, right? Because a lot of it is that we don't have this body awareness, right? And it's like, how is it showing up in your body? Right. So just really honing it into that. And then sometimes using EMDR practices or sometimes even uh, using, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, practices and in, in reframing, you know, the, the thoughts. And but I think overall, the art overarching is like learning to live and accept the identities and what's happening presently that you don't need to change a damn thing. You know, and it's just really owning the identities that you are physically are embodying, you know, and how does that feel like when you do that? You know, because oftentimes it feels very uncomfortable, right? But when you do that, you are reclaiming, you know, you are reclaiming, right? And, and I think that's where we challenge the idea of the imposter syndrome being a syndrome, right? Because it's not a you problem. It's a fucking society problem, mm. right? So how do you show up as authentically right now, mm. right now in this present moment? How do you reclaim your identities? And a lot of that is understanding what those identities mean to mm. everyone. Because personally, it took me a very long time to reclaim the identity of being a daughter of undocumented immigrants mm. being part of a mixed status family mm. and a lot of it was because of the shame yes. you know the shame that how is this professional you know how is this you know master level doctor level you know uh individual have parents that are undocumented immigrants mm. and so once I really tapped into that and really reclaimed it and own up to it. So I just, okay, this is a very valid fucking experience mm -hmm. that my parents and my family as a whole, me, my, my, myself, my brother are navigating and it's very true. And it really does shape how I see the world. And it's very different for someone who maybe has documented parents because as much as we want, my parents cannot go back to their pueblo and visit their pueblo right? And they have 30 plus years without seeing their tierras. And it's a very different experience, right? So once we start reclaiming those identities that we have placed so much shame, girl, you show up differently. Mm -hmm. You show up differently. And I think that's the power. Uh, very quickly, I recently saw uh, the movie Flaming Hot. Have you seen it? I haven't watched oh, it. It's on you my need queue. to watch it. You okay. need to watch it. So um, I believe his name is Richard, but, um, but the person who uh, invented the flaming hot, right? Uh, he talks when he's talking to his son, you know, he's telling him like, Mijo, being Mexican is your superpower. They don't want you to reclaim that because I love they that. know it's a superpower. That really stuck to me because it's so true. Many of our identities are our, are our strength, our superpower. Mm -hmm. And I think before, honestly, I just had 
so much shame and just kind of really owning that up because I'm like, oh, I don't want people to think like I'm this like super like woke girl or like, oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. there was so much shame to that. And I, st- I started doing a lot of the work. I'm like, okay, why is there shame? Why are you so afraid to reclaim your identities in, in, in white spaces? Mm-hmm. ¿Qué pasa si piensa you are that brown girl? ¿Qué pasa? And a lot of it, it was because I think I, I was hearing other voices, you know, I was hearing other voices. And I think when I was able to unchain that, I go up to meetings and se me sale lo Spanglish, se me sale lo hood. Yeah. And honestly, I, I can sense that people are listening to me mm. and I can sense that people are listening to me. And I'm like, I may not be using the, all the eloquent language that my counterpart is using, but I'm going to make you understand in the way that I can know how mm-hmm. and um and that's been very that is very that's validating to me because I'm like you are seeing authentically me right now and mm-hmm. I don't have to kind of code switch to mm-hmm. do that you know and um so that's what a lot of the work that I do with my clients is like using all these kind of like different modalities but tapping into just owning their identities in the present moment yeah. you know just really owning that. And it's very beautiful to witness and how um, they are starting to slowly tap into their, to their chingonaness in their own terms. I love that you mentioned, okay, so obviously me vino a la, a la mente esa pregunta, like the shame, la vergüenza que sentimos for like estar encimados en mm-hmm. este país, right? Mm-hmm. Like no pertenecer, not belonging. And then um, the fear that comes with it too. It um, it just made me think of, of a friend of mine that I have that throws out these little judgments that are really talking about himself, right? Porque mm-hmm. dice, oh, you're like super Mexican. You're way more Mexican than I am. Y él también es super, él es de, de I, mean, well, I won't say extended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly who I'm yeah. talking about. but um I, I mean he was born in Mexico too and I'm just like whenever whenever he started saying those things to me I kind of took them to heart a little and then I was like wait wait no no that you're kind of talking about yourself here and how uncomfortable you are with being mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. identity that you are and so um I take his comments with a grain of salt now but I'm like okay whatever you continue being uncomfortable with yourself and I will show up as my Latina self everywhere that I go yeah regardless of like how I show up but yeah I I really like that you mentioned the shame that comes with either being an immigrant which I myself am or having you know being a daughter or child of immigrants because we don't have the privileges because we don't have the money because we didn't grow up with the house because we so many different things that it's like well it brings the question to mind am I even worthy absolutely of being in these spaces and um that was the first the first question that I asked myself before I started this podcast right where I was like I've been thinking about it for like three years but I didn't do anything because I was like, well, ¿quién me creo yo? what information do I have to share with anybody that like would make a difference in anybody's life? Y luego después de, I mean, me tomaron tres años. So clearly I had to do some work to get to this point. But eventually I was like, fuck it. Like 
I have a voice that reaches a specific audience and not everybody listens to podcasts or watches YouTube videos. And if I tell people that I'm doing it and they have some sort of like relationship with me or like care about me or something like, si algo les toca el corazón, tal vez lo comparten con alguien más. And so I started building myself up in that way, but it took three years. It took three years and it took my own mental health program to break me down and kind of put me in that space. But so how difficult is it then for people who don't go through mental health programs like we did? Because a nosotros se nos, se nos ingreó like a huevo, right? Like because right. we had to, yeah. they have to break us down in order for us to help others heal. <laughs> so Facts. how do you, how do we help people who don't go through mm. a mental health Absolutely. Um, And it's such a privilege, right, to be able to be in in a field where we are, like you said, we're forced, you know, to have these reflections, to have these conversations, to to support uh, communities that that need it, right? We we have the the factual knowledge, right? And um, it is definitely a privilege because there's so many folks in in nuestras comunidades uh, or just in general, that just have no idea of this kind of uh, experiences and everything that, you know, we're talking about, right? And I I genuinely think that a lot is just really making it visible, making this experience as visible, which I really uh, appreciate social media for that, you know, because I think through social media, we're gaining access to a lot of different people in a lot of different type of communities, communities that maybe we would have never crossed paths with. And like you said it yourself, you know, before the algorithm will somehow push, you know, a video that you're like, what the heck, right? And then even if it's just a simple click and right, and you hear something, you're like, what is this? Let me be curious about it, right? And then boom, Estamos plantando semillitas of that knowledge, right? And sometimes that is, sometimes for me, that is okay because not everyone is prepared or is ready to engage in this work because it's, let me, it's, it's hard as fuck. You know, it's very difficult, right? Sometimes not even our parents are ready, right? And we can have multiple conversations with their parents and right. And like, not until years later, maybe they're like, sabes que mija, por fin ya te entendí lo que me estabas diciendo, right? So a lot of, a lot of it is like that, you know, for many, not only our, our gente, but just in general, many, many folks out there, uh, you know, maybe this is the first time they're hearing this type of information. So to me, it was just, providing basic knowledge, making it visible to all audiences, to me, that's already something. Because like I said, or else no one would have access to these type of experiences, right? Um, So I think that's kind of like the first thing uh, that I really appreciate social media, right? There's so many like pros and cons to social media, but that's one of the things that I do appreciate about it is that the, the access to a lot of information that in other ways we wouldn't have, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and also being presented in ways that is uh, not only in this kind of educational way, but it's also in very creative ways where people are willing to, to kind of resonate, you know, with and, you. Yeah, they listen. And empathy, right? And empathize with you and they're able to listen like, 
oh, I never thought about it that way. Okay. You know, and then it's like, boom, there goes one person who is willing to listen to your experience, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just what the, the media feeds us or maybe or like what he said, she said, right? Um, so I, in that way, I do appreciate uh, the platform that social media has, has provided, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So what can happen then as a result? We, we've already talked about missing out on job opportunities. Mm -hmm. We've already talked about how I'm not Ramon Ayala because I didn't continue with my the Ramon Ayala. <laughs> um, what <laughs> other things can happen as a result of not dealing with the imposter phenomenon or what mental yeah. health complications can occur? Absolutely. I think I, what we already see is a lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. right? Because the stress levels are just insane. Um, but a lot of anxiety internalizing as if it's a you problem, right? Something is wrong with me. I'm somehow uh, defected yeah. because um, I'm not doing what my counterpart is doing, what my friend is doing, what she is doing, what he's doing, what they're doing, right? Uh, it can definitely, therefore, uh, impact your your mood, right? And maybe get into like a depressive manifestation, right? You begin to isolate, you began to withdraw uh, yourself from maybe even social engagements that can mm. provide an opportunity to you, right? To, uh, to tap in. Um, and it, so it, I really think that it can definitely take over our entire wellness and not just our mental wellness, but also even our physical wellness, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like I said, it may hinder you not even just leaving your house and therefore maybe not engaging in outdoor activities. And it doesn't have to be the gym or anything, but just like maybe uh, going outdoors, mm. right? Engaging in movement, right? It just can be uh, very, very depleting, right? And um, and I think also there's, when, we're, we're, when we are only listening to our own voice, that can also be very hindering to the well-being. Right, because you're only listening to the voice that it is coming up for you, and that voice is telling you that you're not good enough. That voice, esa vocecita te está diciendo que somehow you're a fraud, that you can't fool anybody, you're still not worth it, right? That um, that they can do it, but you can't, right? So that voice is being very loud when you're just kind of consumed in your own world and you're not allowing yourself to also remove yourself from that so um so I think that that's kind of it can be very detrimental right um which is why one of the things that I also really believe in is just in community right when I share my experience and you're telling me that you can empathize with what I'm going through because you've also been through something very similar that automatic automatically makes us like homies we're like yeah it's like you know um let's go out for some happy hour and like let's get into this talk right that automatically kind of takes you to community building right because we're like okay girl I see you I feel you yes right and just knowing that you're not the only one experiencing this because sometimes we do believe that we're the only ones experiencing this when in fact sometimes our amigas or other folks are also navigating what you're navigating, but because you're not in that, you're not having that social engagement, um, it feels very isolating, right? So I think that there's a lot of power in community um, and 
even if you're not ready to share your your truth, your story, sometimes just listening, right? Listening to others who who have who are on that journey can be empowering for you to finally be able to speak the truth and finally be able to share your story, and then from there you can start off, you know, uh, into into this journey of really tapping into who you are and reclaiming your identities and showing up as authentically as you. I love that you mentioned that, but it did it did bring up a question. So first of all, it sounds like surround yourself by people that you can relate to that have gone through similar things as you, because then it kind of makes you feel like you're not so alone going through this in this journey. Pero también me, me hice preguntar, um, or me hizo que me preguntara, because at the end of the day, who has to believe that you do belong or that you are worthy or that you can take up space or be who you are is yourself, right? Absolutely. So, does it does it matter how many people that you have around you pumping you up? Porque a veces we don't even listen to those voices, right? right? Like my whole life, I've had people telling me how, and I I say this because I I was on autopilot for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these different types of imposter syndromes definitely showed up in my in my life for in, for different reasons at different times. Pero um, yo no me creía todas esas cosas que me decían que eres tan inteligente que no puedo creer que because this is my second master's degree and even to me I'm like well it's not a PhD yet like mm-hmm. it's not it's not enough for me mm-hmm. and so um I've had these people boosting me up and it hasn't been until recently within the last seven or eight months that I finally was like yeah I am this badass person like I am this amazing woman and I am this whatever people have been telling me my whole life so what does it take for, yes, these people to build me up, but like for me to actually believe and step away uh-huh. from it? Because then it'll link into this other question, right? Like, is there a way to completely eliminate imposter syndrome? Or is that just something we're going to have to deal with our whole lives? Yeah. And you're right. You know, sometimes no matter how much we engage, uh, socially engage with others and we listen to them you know you know telling us like yes you you know you're this badass but if we ourselves are not believing that then obviously it's it's it doesn't have the same impact right and I think to me it it really goes back to just even admitting it you know what you're the experience that you're going through because a lot of it a lot of it is that shame again it's like no 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 no. like I don't want to like admit to myself that I am devaluing myself because then what does that mean about me, right? So especially if you have already, like for example, like if you already have a master's degree or you have uh, attained a level of quote unquote success, that you're like, I don't want people to know that I am having these thoughts. I don't want people to know that I am, I believe this, right? Because then what does that say about me? You know, it kind of and it further kind of hinders this belief of like, I'm not good enough, right? Um, And I think it's just one acknowledging like, you know what, I I have these thoughts. I have this belief that that I'm not worth it, that I'm not good enough, right? So I think just acknowledging that and then also just really, really reflect as hard as that can be because I didn't even think when we engage in reflection, it's a whole process in itself. 
right? Because it's a, it's a lot of truth bombs that you are admitting that you're like, shit, I don't even know if I'm ready for this reflection right now. But part of that is like really reflecting where was the first time I heard this, that I was not good enough. Because nobody's born, you know, with like thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, right? These are belief systems that have been planted since very early on in our childhood. So really asking, shit, when was the first time I remember hearing this or feeling this way or experiencing that, right? And that just takes us to a whole kind of like journey, right, of reflection. But I think just something about owning that truth it's really empowering because to me, those are kind of the first steps when we begin kind of uh, silencing those beliefs and really start reframing into like, I went through this and I can still show up as my best, as my true authentic self, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, we, we can't necessarily omit all the experiences that you've been through, right? Which kind of leads me to your second question, right? I, I, so this idea of overcoming it, I think it's very, um, it's kind of like a, almost like a double-edged sword because when I think of overcoming, I feel like, boom, ya nunca jamás is going to show up, right? When I, t- I told you myself, I think I've tapped into an aspect of chingonanes, but then I still sometimes like the belief of like, oh shit, like, am I good enough? You know, comes up, you know? And I feel like I've overall kind of have, uh, have learned to unchain but there's there's at times where I kind of tr- you know trap myself into it and then I'm like oh shit oh shit let me just ooh, before I spiral let me let me get myself together you know uh, but because I have learned the different ways that I know I need to tap into to kind of ground me right in the moment and I think it's a lot of that it's not so much that it's like it's kind of like it's overcoming. I think that as long as we are in this, we are we have continued reminders that these systemic, uh, you know, systems are over us. I think it's going to continue to show up. Now mm-hmm. it's just a way of strengthening our identities, of strengthening our our true selves. That every time we step into these spaces where it feels like we're being challenged or being threatened, we have new armor to just be like, "Yup." Now I'm ready. I know I am this chingona self, no matter who I go into. And if there is a, a moment where I, you know, I trip over and I start doubting myself, I need to make sure that I'm grabbing that armor and I'm just be like, oh no, look, I have this weapon that to remind me that no, I I am being my, I I, I am a badass. It's just this is this is a new experience and I haven't experienced it yet. This is why it feels fearful of it, right? So just kind of reminding ourselves just really that you're probably going to continue to be in spaces where you're being challenged for the first time, where you're going to feel like you don't belong. Why? Because, you know, we operate in this very patriarchal capitalistic world where there's not enough of us everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, and we are going to get challenged. It's just what matters is that every time we're, we're, we're showing up in the spaces, we're going to show up differently. Yeah. And we're, we're going to show up with a lot more tools, you know, that we are going to not allow that to really uh, dense us mm-hmm. and, and overshadow us. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we, we are changing the narrative in that way. You know, mm-hmm. so that's how that's kind of how I interpret it, at least, you know, from my experience, because I don't think that I'm necessarily ever going to uh, 
uh, it's going to stop because again, we are in this type of capitalistic uh, system that we're continuously being in spaces that we don't see people that look like us. But every time I'm just showing up differently. And that to me is how I am dismantling and enchaining myself from this belief that I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's how, that's one way. Yeah. You know, what else just came up to my mind is um, that a lot of, a lot of times this imposter syndrome can come from someone else mentioning something to you out of like envy. Oh, yes. That I don't know why that thought just came up. Can, can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah. So I think what it, I think it's in, in my personal experience, I think it's often other people's fears sometimes become our own fears. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, uh, and it can be anybody. It can be a peer. It can be a friend. It could be a family. Right. And oftentimes because they've never done it. Yeah. They feel like you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, is that fear, right? It's like, well, I went through hardships and I went through this way. So you're going to have to go through the same thing or I couldn't do it or or I couldn't do it. Therefore you can't, right? So, you know, and, and, you know, jealousy is is a common feeling to have, right? Mm -hmm. I think we've all had that feeling. However, I think when it becomes a very toxic type of jealous where it's like, okay, you're not, um, you're not allowing the other person to be there to que florezcan, right? Mm-hmm. To blossom into their badass, into their true self, is because it is activating something in you, right? Maybe you felt that you somehow couldn't florecer and blossom and bloom to this person you wanted to be there for. You don't want anybody to do that, mm-hmm. right? And you bring everybody down. And we see that when our families, we see this with our, our circle of friends, right? Even in our jobs with coworkers, right? Um, that sometimes we're like, man, mejor no le hubiera dicho a nadie nada de esto, porque si no, like, there they go with their toxic selves, right? Or we're like, their negativity, right? So I think that that exists a lot. And, and I think a lot of it also, too, is because society it's like we've we've been told that not all of us can coexist in the in taking up space at the same time right we're all competition we're on competition right there's only one person that can get this Mm -hmm. right and it's like but if we were uh we would have changed that narrative it's like you know what there's there's room for all of us to be here and empower each other and you know then we wouldn't have so many of that experiences right but i do think because we've just has been really survival of the fetus mentality it's like that it's only one person that can make it nos ponemos contra nosotros mismos mm-hmm. right and i think this brings me back to one of the questions that you asked earlier hasta nuestra propia nuestra propia comunidad de nuestra propia gente right in our circle that we see this but because we've been told that there's only one of us who can be at the top mm-hmm. and not all of us at the top mm-hmm. Yeah. And it circles back to the systems in place, right? right? There you go. Only white people can do it, pero si aceptan a un Latino or a un Afroamericano, it's only going to be one. So mm-hmm. now we're all competition for one another. Exactamente. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a great point. So do you have any examples of like a successful or moving story of a client, obviously without identifying, um, yeah. 
any any person but like who was able to overcome or like worked through imposter syndrome and like they're in their best chingona selves right now yeah so for sure I think I have many stories but I think that uh, the one that I'm choosing to highlight uh, is uh, one of my clients who actually I graduated um, earlier this year. Um, first gen Latina, also first in her family to pursue uh, higher education and grad school. And um, and I think uh, with this client, I resonated with her a lot because of the anxiety that uh, she always had about needing to be perfect you know, making sure that she didn't fail, that um, that she didn't uh, shame the family, right? Because she was navigating through many different experiences for the first time, including bringing a boyfriend, you know, el novio en la casa, right? And, you know, and the parents, we all know how that goes with a lot of Latino parents, right? You know, like moving out and what does that look like before marriage, right? So all these topics were coming up for her. And I think just working not only through the symptoms of anxiety and like the somatic experiences that were happening, you know, with her, but also seeing her, how she slowly started um, challenging her own beliefs and then slowly started reframing and slowly started seeking new opportunities that she hadn't otherwise was very beautiful to witness, you know? And, and I'm not talking about just opportunities that need to be like very big because she did take up also like applying to internships and different type of jobs and, you know, other, but I think just even stepping into new experiences, like being, uh, raising her hand to present, being the first to present and in her, in one of her, her final projects, you know, and just talking about like, typically I'm the last one. Like I never, I want to be like, I want everybody to go first, you know, and just being able to just like, no, I can, I can do this. I'm confident with the type of work that I've done and, you know, and I'm going to do my best and that's all I can do, you know, and just her saying that is like, dang, you know, that was very beautiful to see. Right. And sometimes even just be like, Sabes que, you know, I am going to, I, I understand that this is a, a belief that has been instilled on my life by my by my family and um I know that even though I'm feeling guilty I know that I can I can still be myself and I can still do this and doesn't mean that I'm less than a daughter or somehow I'm bringing shame that I I can still do both so just having her walk through this dialect and seeing her how she slowly started changing her beliefs and just transforming into this wonderful tapping into her chingonaness I think it was just so like it was a beautiful movie to just being just sitting and just seeing it play out you know and um and I know when we had our like our kind of like our graduation session or like our last session you know just her really highlighting all these things was was like uh, there's just a lot of a lot of orgullo right and um and yeah and I think I'm just always very touched and motivated by my clients you know um and just seeing how each of them are really tapping into the best version of themselves and they're all in different stages has been very wonderful and what a privilege to witness that like what a freaking privilege to witness to really witness that. Y más, y más porque también son, son latinas, 
mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's like, ah, you know, so it's just, I, I love that euphoria I get after, you know, seeing those type of wins, you know, yeah. from my clients. It's so awesome to to hear those experiences because um, from my experience, I mean, just being so new in the field, obviously, I don't, I think I've graduated a couple of people, maybe three or four at most in my internship, pero como apenas estoy comenzando, just it's, first of all, it's encouraging for me, but also it's, it can, it can get a little bit discouraging knowing, just like you mentioned earlier, that not everybody is ready to hear these things or to go through these growths or because it is painful, it is uncomfortable, and it takes a lot of willpower a lot of like I I quiero hacer esto and um I want to be that cycle breaker or I want to be this person in my family to finally get to that healing process but um it can be pretty discouraging to know like well they didn't show up for therapy anymore and like absolutely and I go through those challenges as well absolutely I go through those challenges as well absolutely I've been ghosted I've been, yeah, absolutely. I've been um, fired, you know, from being the therapist. And that is absolutely okay, you know, because the way that I interpret it, it's like, sabes que, maybe I know I'm not the right therapist for mm. everyone, right? I absolutely know that, right? And at the same time, I also believe that sometimes, no más como que plantemos una semillita yes. and they can take that to the next therapist. Yes. That's enough because that's sometimes what we're doing. Estamos plantando semillitas. Yes. You are in my brain today. You have said (laughs) so many different things that I'm like, I was just about to ask that. Yes. Planting the seeds and shedding our light on different things that they have in their lives. Aunque no seamos nosotras que, you know, that we flourish, we know, we know that that blossoming is going to happen at some point in their lives because they've already started the work. And that little seed is going to germinate and it's going to blossom. And mm-hmm. then they're going to be like, actually, I want to go back to therapy. And like, this is the idea now. So yeah, I love, love, love that you mentioned that. Absolutely. So do you have any sort of resources on the imposter phenomenon that people can look into outside of therapy or in between sessions? Yeah. So I think uh, something that I do, um, that I engage, I listen to a lot of podcasts as well, you know, so I'm excited to, to be tuning in more into your, uh, into your videos, you know, uh, but I listen to, um, to a lot of, um, a lot of like Latino, not only mental health, I want to say that not only mental health, but also a different type of uh, uh, podcast folks that are out there that are also shedding light on the imposter syndrome and how it's manifesting in different ways. Mm -hmm. So uh, one that I've been, uh, that I really loved because it really made me think about how money, like the financial wealth aspect of it, it's a whole other conversation, right? Mm -hmm. But that how that also how that also kind of be it's interrelated through imposter syndrome has mm. been very beautiful to just even sit in those reflections, especially if you're not ready to kind of dig in more into kind of a more psychological perspective, but maybe we all speak money. We all understand money, right? So we all care about money. So maybe that could be a, a way of listening to, to how maybe money also shows up and and has shown up in in our in our lives and maybe how it can also be intertwined with uh, imposter syndrome and one of them is uh with um uh, yo quiero dinero 
you know, uh, the podcast, Yo Quiero Dinero, she has multiple different, um, different segments where she talks about this. And I think this is a uh, uh, something that I've also told my clients, you know, they could ever, you know, take a listen and they bring up is they bring up all, all these like things that they've like bombs, you know, that they've, you know, reflected on as like, I didn't realize it was showing up like this way. And they're able to have a healthier conversation through that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. Another way is um, I know the segments that speaks a lot about imposter syndrome and kind of brings it down is uh, Dr. Lissette. Um, Dr. Lisette Sanchez. And uh, if you also look her up on YouTube, she has a different segments also specifically honing in on imposter syndrome. So I really appreciate her segments as well, because she also kind of uh, digs deeper into the imposter phenomenon and why we're moving away from, from syndrome to phenomenon. So I think for someone who just wants to learn more about what it is, to, to about imposter syndrome or just in general I think her segments are also uh very um very interesting um another one I think it's um even just learning about uh the sense of worth mm-hmm. and and wellness right just like what that means right and oftentimes it's easier broken down when we hear other people's stories or we we it's happening to others mm-hmm. as opposed to it's happening to us right we're better it's a better way of interpreting that you know and i'm sure you've you've read this uh book uh julie i believe it's julisa arce yes julisa arce you sound like a white girl she rejects the idea of assimilation and I think a lot of the the imposter phenomenon, a lot of those beliefs come a lot from that, from wanting to belong, right? We talked about it a lot through our segment. And she talks about, uh, you know, how this individual is navigating life, being a Latina, mm-hmm. and why she wants to assimilate, you know? And through that, she finds out how her identities have really impacted the way she's navigated society so mm-hmm. I really 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 love that book because I think it's an easy read and a lot of folks can just um can just really resonate with with a lot that comes it's in, super in relevant book. it's super duper relevant to this topic and to others I actually just recorded another podcast um where the terms assimilation and acculturation came up and I'm like hardcore into that terminology because I I struggled um with my identity for a long time, right? No soy ni de aquí ni de allá. Going uh-huh. Mexico, it's like yo soy la yo soy la del norte because like my Spanish is also more standard. I was a high school Spanish teacher, so I have my Michoacan Spanish, but I also have like the standard Spanish that gets you mm-hmm. every, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um but then here, my skin tone obviously tells people that I'm not from here. And then if I'm speaking Spanish in a certain area, so that um, th- those two terms definitely came up because I've been doing so much research on that. And, you know, the distinction between the two assimilation is like, you're completely dismissing the right. culture that you're coming from. Absolutely. And you're trying to adopt a culture, first of all, that you're not from, but also it's always going to other you. So mm-hmm. you've already lost your identity porque ya la dejaste claro you're trying to fit into this other one where you yourself don't feel like you're worthy of being a part of already 
Like there's so much absolutely function that goes with that, that I, I can't wait until I read this book. Right. And so then we absolutely. have acculturation case. Well, I'll take a little bits and pieces, mm-hmm. which makes more sense. Right. Absolutely. It is de los dos lados. It is in, mm-hmm. um, it just makes it for a healthier, right. a healthier, um, way of going about life. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when I, when I think about that term assimilation, especially in the book, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's very married to this idea of the imposter phenomenon, mm-hmm. right. Of like, because we're not showing up as being perfect, we're not showing up as, you know, wow. uh, right. Perfect. <laughs> right. Um, and, and in our closer proximity to whiteness, therefore we we believe that that something is wrong with us, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I really, I think that's a very easy and nice read for many folks and you don't, you know, for anybody to read, I think it just like really teasing out how identity uh, plays uh, a factor into who we are and how these uh, belief systems have transcended generationally. Right. So um, that's another uh, that's another book that I also kind of sometimes encourage my clients to just, hey, just read it, you know, and sometimes like, oh, yeah, I really identify with this character. Like and then it, it brings up a lot of those conversations, too. Right. And, and and it brings it up in a very gentle way where you don't feel attacked, you know, where you're reading like you are this. If you're navigating this, then you must be that. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like you're being attacked because of, you know, it's saying that you somehow something or something is wrong with you. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it just re- it's it's a very uh, creative way of also seeing how um, like this finding relatability experience. Absolutely. Yeah. OK. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of those. I love that you came prepared with all of the all of the resources. Is there anything else now that you think that is important people should know about imposter syndrome or the imposter phenomenon that we already haven't covered? No, I think just to reiterate that you're already enough. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever is listening to this uh, segment, I, I just want them to know that you are already enough with what you have. Right. And all the all the baggage, all the shit that, you know, that you that makes you believe that you're not enough, it definitely stems from somewhere and it's mm-hmm. not because of you. So um, I think those are the last words that I always like to to leave with with anybody listening to anything on imposter, the imposter phenomenon. It is not on you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I hope that whoever's listening, you know, whatever, um, you know, uh, journey they're on on in terms of like just rediscovering themselves uh, can can hear this and just take it in as like hopefully as a semillita right as a replanting the seed of them tapping into their badassness well thank you so much for leaving us with those words that's actually the best way to end and wrap up on the imposter phenomenon so tell us now I know that on your website it says you're not taking any more clients but we do want to get in contact with you so like socials website anyone who's interested in looking you up for when you do have an opening and you graduate other clients 
or any engagements or workshops that you're going to be involved in soon, please let us know. And I'll link everything at the bottom in the description for this video. Thank you. Uh, So my website is uh, palantetherapy.com. And um, even though I'm not accepting new clients at this moment, sometimes, you know, clients drop out, you know, and I've had um, some clients that contact me via email and just like, hey, I really resonate with you. I was wondering if you could just let me know your next opening. And then boom, a few weeks later, there's an opening, right? So please feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I can also be found uh, on Instagram, Palante Therapy. I like to do a lot of different um, psychoeducational informational videos. Uh, I am a very much open book. I disclose a lot of personal, my personal journey, a lot of identities and a lot of things that I do. So uh, if you want to join me on that journey, please, uh, you know, just follow me. I also, anytime uh, uh, a follower sends me a DM regarding just how they feel seen by my post or whatever the content it is that I provide, I read all of those. And which is hence why I even replied to your comment, right? When you're like, hey, I think you would be great for this. I can relate to what you're, sh- you're sharing. Because to me, that is like, it, it it's some, something about knowing that there's other folks out there that have gone through what we're talking about on on social media is just is like damn like yes aquí estamos and we're just powering through so never be never be ashamed or afraid to shoot your shot in terms of like hey let me just say hello let me say hi whatever I welcome those type of DMs let me make that very clear uh, <laughs> and then yeah I think right now um, I do have other uh, like podcasts, you know, uh, guests speaking engagements that I have uh, volunteered to. But anytime I get the opportunity, to, honestly, to to have uh, to speak to any with anyone that I feel like uh, we can get this type of information out, you know, if there's capacity, also I always volunteer to do so, just because I know the information is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can always just email if there's anything that maybe you would like me for me to be a part of or continue this conversation elsewhere. Uh, you can email me at Yanira Hernandez at palantetherapy.com and uh, we can always go from there. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you again for being on this episode, talking to us about such an important topic that shows up in so many different ways. Um, I feel like I'm your best friend. This is the first time we meet y'all. We didn't even like meet for a logistics meeting. This, we didn't like, we were just like, I guess we're going to record on Monday. (laughs) I sent all the questions and then all right, let's see. And look at how in tune we are that we like even matched (laughs) outfits. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was just looking at like, perfect. Well, our aesthetic is great. We just, we're in tune y'all. We are in tune and I look forward to, collaborating with you maybe in different ways I guess reiterating Dr. Hernandez is practicing in California because I'm in Austin Texas so um, I'm a Cali girl originally but just for all of the listeners she is in California so if you're in California and you want to reach out to her that's those are the people that she's taking (laughs) absolutely thank you so much Darlene for everything absolutely feels such a great honor to be 
uh, in such a like a, a, a space that is not like I think because I think we can have these conversations but like you you said it very perfectly I think just the energy right it's like I feel like we're comadres yes. we can go and have this conversation elsewhere right and um, and I sense it even virtually so again thank you so much for for inviting me and just you know, holding this space to have many different type of conversations, you know, I think it's very beautiful that you decided to, 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 you know, tap into your podcast. And even if it took you a few years to get that started, I'm very happy for you. Look forward to connecting with you in the future. And yeah, muchísimas gracias. I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Um, I feel like Dr. Yanira ended it really well with um, the message of you are enough. Um, And I kind of want to, yes, highlight that message, but also the whole episode, I think, reminds me of how we all struggle with something, Um, be it mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, etc. We're all, yes, enough but we are all broken in some way shape or form and i think the fact that we can all say that there's something broken inside of us doesn't mean that we are not enough to show up in this world the way that we need to especially if we're doing the healing and um continuing to grow into like the best possible versions of ourselves this this thing of life is like there is a forever transformation and we're going to be so many different versions of ourselves throughout it Um, and you know we'll go we'll go from one version to another until we become that ideal version that we're striving for and it's still not going to be something perfect right but that doesn't mean that we're not enough it just means that we are finding the root and we're looking for healing from the specific types of imposter syndrome or from mental disorders or from what have you. Um, And as as long as we're attending to our overall health, it's like putting the pieces of our brokenness together into a beautiful work of art. Kind of like the Japanese art form of Kintsugi. Um, it was mentioned by somebody years ago at one of the churches that I went to and uh, they explained the process to me it means um, golden repair kin means golden and tsugi means repair and it's a process where ceramics are repaired by filling the cracks and putting it together with like a gold bond and it the ceramic looks amazingly gorgeous afterwards, almost better, I would say, than what the original piece was before it was broken. And so some people use that analogy and other people like to use the analogy of us being like mosaics. Um, Another one of my favorite analogies after Kintsugi would be the analogy of being like this knotted ball of yarn that we're unraveling as life goes on or that unravels as we we progress through life and through our healing we weave it into a beautiful tapestry and so it's still right in its own 
sense a work of art. And so we are all enough already through our brokenness and through all of the stuff that life throws at us. And um, this episode of imposter syndrome reminded me of how many negative thoughts we tell ourselves that make us feel like we are not already these works of art that are transforming every single day of our lives. Um, thank y'all for sticking around up until this point. I know this was a pretty long episode, but it was so full of amazing things. And um, just remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, or like the audio, subscribe wherever you're listening, whatever platform, be it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or um, Amazon Music. Um, yeah, thank you again. I am sending you off with love, light, and many, many blessings. <laughs>